0: Continue in Philippians chapter 2 we're going to read verses 5 through 11 and then we're going to dig right into the text and my encouragement my admonishment for you is you grapple with the text this morning you ask the question what does this mean for me and how I live out today amen, amen. so the title of the message is Made in the Likeness of Men. And you're going to find out just what that means in a few minutes. So let's look at verse 5 through verse 11. Follow along with me. I'm going to be, again, as I often tell you, using the version that Moses brought down from Mount Hor of the NASB. not i only kidding. See that? So follow along with me this morning. Have this attitude in yourselves. Now look at the text, church. Have this attitude in yourselves. Which attitude? Which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's your gospel, church. Therefore, also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him, look at this now, Oh look at this, the name which is above every name. You see that? That at the name of Jesus, every knee, kneel, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And that every tongue should every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So here's some questions to draw you into the text. What are those things in your life that you need to empty yourself of? What are those things that are getting in the way of your walk with the Lord? What do you need to empty yourself of? Do, do you think of yourself as a person whom others should serve? Or that you should be serving others? Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. Slide five. Here's some other tough questions. Are you a person who has a self-centered outlook on life, where everything has to revolve around me making me happy? How about this? How frequently do you deny your desires, your pleasures, or needs for the sake of other people? It's already getting quiet in here. So let's, let's dig into these verses. Look at verse 7 here, slide 6. This is the ekinosin. He emptied, meaning what? He gave up divine privileges of himself. He took on the form or the morphe, the shape of a doulos, a slave, and being made genemenos, to become like, or to be made in the likeness of the same human form of men. Slide 7. The NLT puts it this way. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and being born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Let's tease this apart, church. All right, so Paul, what did you mean when you're telling us that this Jesus, the literal son of God, he emptied himself, that echinocent. Slide eight. What does that word mean? So the the idea of the text here in the Greek is it means to contain nothing or to divest oneself of rightful dignity by descending into an inferior condition. But it's very important that we understand when he's talking about emptying himself, Jesus has never and will never stop being the son of the living God. He is God the Son. So what did Jesus empty himself of? Because some people say he stopped being God. That's a lie. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever stop being God the Son, ever. So what did he empty himself? So we want to stay in the context of what was Paul was leading up to so we get this picture of what this Jesus emptied himself of. So if we go through the whole text of the book of Philippians and other, like Romans, Jesus emptied himself of advantage, of privilege. Choosing not to assert his divine right as the Son of God. He emptied himself of the divine glory and praise that he deserves. So what do we learn from this? He emptied himself how? He takes on the form of a slave. But he did not stop being or losing the form of God. He displayed his nature as God in the form of a doulos, a slave. That's what the text says. He revealed to you and I something important. His character, church. See, one more important point to drive home here for us is this. Throughout all this church, all the way through the cross, Jesus never lost his true identity here when he emptied himself. In fact, this self-emptying actually revealed Christ's true identity as the God-man. How do we flesh this out for you and I in our lives today? Instead of us seeking praise, or personal glory, or status, or honor, or earthly pursuits for ourselves, we are to, as the text has taught us, follow the model that Jesus laid out for us with his life, and empty ourselves of such claims. Which is antithetical to everything the world stands for, church. How did he model it? Song of the 9. He took on the form of a bondservant. That word form is the word morphe. It means form, shape, this outward manifestation of this inner reality. He's taken on this form, this shape, this reality as a slave, a bondservant, a doulos. Hear me this morning. Just as Jesus fully existed in the form of God, He now also exists in the form as a man and as a slave. So let's make sure we understand the difference between someone Who serves others and someone who is actually a slave. There is a difference, and I'm going to outline it. Okay? The Bible says that he took on a form of a doulos, a slave. So what does that mean? Well, a person who serves others, much like today, an employee, you know, they can come and go as they please, they can keep their job, they can quit their job, they can call out sick if they want, they can do all those things. They can choose when. They want to serve, so they have control over their life to some degree. A person who serves can own their own property, own their own clothing, their furniture, their money. You get the point. But a slave, a slave, a doulas, owns nothing at all. You see, a slave had no rights. Every possession he had or she had was the property of his master. Even the very clothes on a slave's back was the property of the master. A slave could only go where their master told him to go and do what the master ordered him to do. A slave did not belong to himself. He was a personal property of his master. Now let's take a moment and think about this. The ultimate humiliation that the very Son of God who spoke the world into existence comes down to earth born as a baby, becomes a human, and becomes a slave. Think about that. How dare we dishonor God? The Son of God never owned a home, never rented an apartment when he was 0 Earth, never owned land or cattle, never owned a business, never even owned a horse. In fact, on Palm Sunday, we learned that he borrowed a donkey to ride in Jerusalem, and he borrowed a room, an upper room, for the Last Supper and didn't even own the tomb he was buried in. That's our Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment, church. Hopefully we start to grasp what's being taught here. You see, the one who always existed with the Father, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, voluntarily condescended, comes down to earth and becomes a slave, teaching us and modeling us what true servanthood is. He made and spoke all creation into existence and yet claimed none of it for himself while he was here on earth as a human. Then Paul goes on and says, 10, Being made genemenos, being made in the likeness of men to cause to to be, to come into existence, Jesus became something he never was before. He became a human being, church. In the likeness, the likeness, the same human form, a copy, a representation. What does Paul want us to understand here, church? Jesus Christ became a human being in every way, just like you and I, except without sin. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a ghost. He had flesh and bones, tendons, heart. He wept, he hungered, he thirsted. He became a human in every way except without sin. And as a human, he took on all the frailties that a human has, body aches, pains, problems, suffering. That's all part of the fall, along with the horrible earthly consequences of being a child of the fall as well. Look at what Paul said to the Church of Galatians, slide 11 and 12. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of what A woman born of a woman, right? A Gune, a woman born under the namas, the law. The NLT, slide 12 says, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. So Jesus, the son of God, was also the son of man. He was completely human. He was hungry, tired, thirsty, as we've just learned. So let's look at slides 13 through 15. I want us to back that up. I want scripture to validate scripture for us. So what does Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 say? Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. The same what? That's the antecedent. Flesh and blood. So through death, he might render powerless him, that's Satan, who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And the NLT puts it this way. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had brought the power of death. Do you see the importance of surrendering your life to Christ yet? Do you see it? How about 15 and 16? He was also tempted in all things as we are. Let's look at Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus did something that you and I could never do. He kept the whole law. The NLT puts it this way. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Because Jesus was fully fully a human being, he was subject to physical death. Look at slide 17 and 18. Hebrews 10, 10. By this will we have been sanctified or set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I want you to be seeing something here. You should be seeing the gospel throughout all of this. The NLT puts it this away. For God's will was for us to be made holy. How? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Look with me at verse 8 as we see Paul now driving home this point. Being found, meaning to recognize, to be seen in appearance, right? Sunamate, that's a form, as a man. So he's been found or seen in the appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself. He made himself of a low condition. How? By becoming obedient. Hubekus. Obedient. Submissive. To what? To the point of death. Even death on the cross. And the NLT puts it this way. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You've got to remember, that was a criminal's death. A death by execution. Let's tease this apart found, to recognize, to be, to see, to obtain, right? He's found, he was seen in the appearance, amate, the form, shape, outward appearance, something that we can perceive with our senses, his appearance as a man. He also uses this word schema, very important word there. That's where we get the word schematic from. See, so you know you're Greek and didn't even know it. I'm so proud of you. What do we glean from this teaching? Paul's driving home this point in the text, that those who saw Jesus could clearly recognize and see that he was a man, a human being, just like you and I are right now. And then how about this, John 6, 42. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? His father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Or in the NLT, they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he be telling us that he came down from heaven? Church, Jesus suffered the humiliation of being a mere man. Jesus, who was God the Son, was clearly recognized as to be a human being, and his humanity was fully recognized. Now, why am I really driving this home and trying to draw it out. There are some churches out there that don't teach that Jesus became a human being, that he was a phantom or something else. But as you can see by the text, Jesus Christ was fully a human being, like all of us except without sin, and fully God. I want you to be seen. I want you to see the text is teaching you this. Okay? Here we see Christ suffering the humiliation of being a mere man. I want you to think for a minute. Look at the solar system, the planets, even new systems that they're starting to find with the the telescopes that are way out there. You know, Think about this. Everything that you can see when you look up at night, God spoke it into existence. I want you to think about how big our God is. He spoke it. He didn't have to go to Home Depot or BJ or anywhere. Ex nihilio. He didn't need any raw materials. He spoke it into existence. Keep that in mind. And this, this this powerful God that is also omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time, this God that is just as much in China as he is right now, does something that is just mind blowing. He, he comes and sends and comes down, and he's born as a baby in a mother's womb. He becomes a human being. There's nothing that he has not suffered, that we have not suffered, that he's not suffered, church. So I want you to be thinking about this. His humanity was fully recognized. So what does he do to even bring that out more? He humbles himself, slide 24. At then he humbled himself. He lowers himself. You know, the idea of humility here is to not seek status, not to seek prestige or privilege or honor. Think about that for a minute. That's the opposite of the world we live in, isn't it? People want to be, they want the status of having the nicest, fanciest car, million dollar homes, and they want the prestige and privilege. Look at all that I have. Here's something else that I really want to drive home this morning. Please understand this. None of this, none of it was forced upon Jesus, it was a voluntary humiliation on his part, for you and me. I don't deserve that. How about you? Think about the humiliation leading up to the cross, his being arrested, his trial. Think about this. The very son of the living God was spit on, tortured, blindfolded, beaten with fists, beard ripped out. Yet through all of this, what else happens? A crown of thorns placed on his head, then beaten down with a reed onto his head. Think about that. And in spite of all of that, Jesus never fought back, never got defensive, wasn't bitter, not demanding, never accusing. He refused to assert his rights as God or even as a human. I want you to see what Paul Rees writes, slide 25. Paul Rees says this, Look at him, this amazing Jesus. He's helping Joseph make a yoke in that little carpenter's shop in Nazareth. This is the one who, apart from his self-emptying, could far more easily make a solar system or a galaxy of systems. Look at him, dressed like a slave with a towel and basin for menial equipment. He's bathing the feet of some friends of his who, but for their quarrelsomeness, should have been washing his feet. He humbled himself. Don't forget this, cries Paul to these dear friends of his at Philippi. Don't forget this when the slightest impulse arises to become self-assertive, self-seeking, and go and break the bond of your fellowship with one another. That's powerful. But Paul doesn't stop there. After he humbles himself, he becomes obedient, the hubicas. He becomes submissive. He obeys. To do what? to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is so significant about death on a cross? I'm going to cover something that's in the next section that's going to be extremely hard for you to hear and fit in your ear, and you'll see why in a minute. But I think it needs to be taught. I think we need to have a full understanding of what this really means. So we're talking about death on a cross. Look at slide 27. So where do we find this kind of teaching? Yes, it goes back to the Old Testament. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is to be put to death, you hang him on a tree. His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is a of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord Yahweh, your God, gives you as an inheritance. the NLT puts it this way. If someone has committed a crime worthy of death, he is executed and hung on a tree. The body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. you must bury the body the same day for anyone who is hung or is cursed in the sight of God. In this way, you will prevent the defilement in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. So here, the curse we see in Deuteronomy 21 means being outside of God's covenant people. You see, church, listen, A person who was executed this way was banned from being with the people of God and receiving the blessings that go with that. So then the Jews of his day, back when Jesus was walking the earth, the Jews of his day had actually considered death by crucifixion to be a form of hanging, and those who were hung were considered to be cursed by God. So I want to take a few minutes and share with you some hard, very unpleasant information about the crucifixion. I think it's important to gain some understanding of what Jesus endured for you and I. Now, this is going to be hard to fit in your ear, but you need to really know and understand it. I'm going to be sharing you some information, research done by a Dr. C. Truman Davis. Who was he? Dr. Davis was this French surgeon. And there's another one named Dr. Pierre Barbell, who done exhaustive historical research on this. I want you to see how true your Bible is. So, slide 29, and just follow through me with me. The first known practice of crucifixion was by the Persians. By the way, which is modern-day Iraq. Alexander the Great brought it back to the Mediterranean world, to Egypt. And the Romans learned of it and rapidly developed a high efficiency and skill at it. Some things that we learned were as follows. <clears throat> The criminals did not carry the entire cross to the execution site, but rather the condemned person usually carried the horizontal beam called a patibulum to the place of execution outside the city walls and outside of the covenant people. Either a soldier, slide 30, or public executor fastened the condemned person who was naked or wearing a loincloth to the cross with nails. Material evidence suggests that a person's feet were nailed separately on each side of the vertical beam of the cross. A crucifixion image discovered in Puteole, Italy, for instance, shows a man who had been severely flogged with outstretched arms and feet nailed separately to a vertical beam. The horizontal beam was carried, which weighed about 110 pounds. The nails were not driven through the hands, as they could not hold the weight of the condemned person. The nails were driven through the small bones in the wrist. Here's something else. Side 31. The small sign called a titulus, stating the condemned's crime was placed on a staff and carried in front of the condemned during the procession to the execution site later was nailed to the cross. This is uh, the next part going to be hard to hear. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. This is where all this trauma begins to unpack itself. A soldier punches Jesus in the face when Jesus didn't answer Caiaphas. The palace guards blindfold Jesus, begin to mock him. They spit on him as they pass by him, also punching him in the face. This is kind of the Navy SEALs of that day, the Praetorian Guard. Then in the morning, already beaten and bruised up, exhausted, dehydrated, he's now taken to Jerusalem to punch his pilot. And to shorten the story a bit because we've all seen it, we know the Pilate releases Barabbas, and condemns Jesus to be scourged. Preparations for scourging, slide 33, are that Jesus was stripped of his clothing, hands were tied above his head to a post, and he's beaten 39 times with a device called a flagrum or a flagellum. What was this weapon the device made of? It was held with lead balls and leather thongs which tear up the skin. Now, as I'm reading this, this was done for you and me. The soldier then whips down with the full force across the shoulders and backs. With each blow, the cuts go deeper and deeper, cutting through the subcutaneous tissue, producing oozing of blood from the veins and skin, then finally spurting out arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The lead balls, slide 34, produce deep bruises, which are then broken up by the continuous blows. The final result is that the skin on his shoulders, back, and legs is hanging there like bloody ribbons, and the entire back is an unrecognizable mass of torn bleeding tissue. Then as Jesus is untied and slumped over the soldiers place to, rock, to uh, 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 they place a robe on him, place a stick in his hand. Philippi 35, they fashion a crown from flexible branches with long thorns, which were commonly used back then for bundling firewood. They press it down into a scalp, mock him again, more punches to the face. The soldiers take a stick from his hand Strike him on the head and drive the thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, they take the crossbeam and tie it to his arms. To it, and the journey to Golgotha begins, the journey along the Via Della Rosa. In spite of Jesus' efforts to walk erect, the weight of the crossbeam is too much due to the shock and loss of blood from the beating, and he stumbles and falls. At the execution site, Jesus is stripped again, except for his loincloth. He's now pushed to the ground with cross beam attached. His arms are stretched out. The guards feel the depression in the front of his wrist and they drive a heavy square wrought iron nail leading through his hand deep into the wood. Does the other on the other wrist. The cross beam or the patabulum is then raised onto a stipe. The titillus is now on top of the stipe which reads Jesus of Nazareth King of the Jews. Then his feet were either nailed on each side of the stipe or right foot placed against the left foot with the toes pointed down, and then the nails driven through the arch of each foot, leaving the knees moderately flexed. As Jesus slowly sags down due to exhaustion, more weight is placed on the nails and wrists, putting pressure on what's called the median nerves. This is unbearable pain. I hope you're listening. He then pushes himself up. He then is placing his full weight on the nails through his feet. Again, there is searing agony as the nail is tearing through the nerves between the metatorsal bones of his feet. At this point, his arms are fatigued. Great waves of cramps sweep over his muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. Then This then makes it impossible to push himself up. Air can be drawn into his lungs but not exhaled. Carbon dioxide builds up in his lungs and into his bloodstream, a terrible, crushing pain deep in his chest, begins as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. And finally, Jesus utters his last words, it is finished. So we rarely ever talk about what Jesus endured on our behalf, but this graphically, church, needs to be understood. I want you to fully understand this execution, how horrible it was. And I want you to think about it. It was done for you, and it was done for me. I want you to remember this every time you use God's name as a cuss word or you complain, and get upset, you want things your own way. He became a man. He became a slave. He humbled himself. He endured all of this. So when you and I drop dead, we step into glory. We don't deserve it. It's been paid for already. All we can do is receive it. Today we see pretty crosses, worn as jewelry, or nice wood card crosses, set on walls as decoration. Imagine if I had a gas chamber pendant around my neck. People would think, what's with what's, what him? I was living back that day, the cross as a jewelry. Just never forget what he did on the cross for you and I. We need to understand something. This form of execution, this cross, was a bloody, horrible event. Horrible event. It's not getting a needle in your arm at a table where you get to say your last words, where we try to make it a little bit more humane, quote-unquote. But this wasn't clean or pretty, church. It was a capital form of capital punishment. Let me finish up with what Paul wrote at the Church of Galatia. I'm just about done. Slide 39. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Christ redeemed us. He rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Redeemed. Christ redeemed us. Do we understand what that means? That word redeemed. It has the idea of buying a slave's freedom. Hear me this morning, church. Jesus justifies or declares right. That's what justification is. He declares right those who believe in him by buying them back for their bondage to slavery and sin. He's buying you back with that crimson bloody shed from your bondage to slavery and sin. Do you hear me this morning? The curse of the law was actually the punishment because no man could ever keep the law. I couldn't keep it. You can't keep it. So what does Jesus do? He takes upon himself the curse upon himself in our place for our sins at this crucifixion. Again, back in Jesus' day, the Old Testament times, criminals were usually, actually they were stoned first then tied up on a post till sunset as a visible reminder of being rejected by God. How is this curse broken for you and I? I'm just about done. Side 41. For a while, we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were utterly helpless, he came at the right time and died for us. What does it mean that we're helpless? Church, Paul is actually speaking of the fact that we are ungodly and we are completely unworthy of his love. He uses this word helpless, meaning what? Church, you and I were powerless on our own to escape sin. Please understand this this morning and you listening around the world. We are powerless on our own to escape sin. We are powerless on our own to escape death. And we were powerless on our own to resist Satan. So church, we are powerless on our own to please God. And yet at the right time, he died for the ungodly. So as we've learned from scripture, a payment has been made. A ransom has been paid. Jesus came to ransom you. He paid your sin debt. So that means that you and I who are slaves, listen, if you're a slave to the drugs, the, the fentanyl, the crack, the heroin, the coke, if you are in bondage to alcohol, any of this stuff, you either believe this or you don't. He paid the ransom. He broke the bondage that's there. We repent and we believe and we place our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Someday, we are all going to draw our last breath here on earth because it is appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. The Bible does not say you get to do it over again like when we kicked the ball out of balance when we were little kids and we would say, do over, do over, even though the ball went out of balance. Don't work that way. It's appointed once for a person to die, then the judgment. So hear me this morning. If you draw your last breath today and you have not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, who is our hope, who releases from bondage, you do not get to negotiate with God where you're going to be. The only reason that you will step into glory is because Jesus paid it all. That's the only reason you will ever step into glory. And those who reject Christ They burn in hell for all eternity. So do not think that you, oh, I have more time. Maybe I'll get saved tomorrow, next week. Now is the time for you to get right with God. He, for whatever reason, wanted you to hear this teaching this morning. You saw how bloody the cross was. You saw the inhumane suffering that he went through. Think about it. He bled at the Garden of Gethsemane. He bled when the Praetorian guards were punching him in the face. He bled when the crown of thorns was placed on his head. He bled when they beat his body into ribbons of flesh where his spine was exposed with that flagrum or flagellum when he was tied up. He bled at the cross. Think about it. Blood was spilled. The Father takes that blood and says, this is payment for your sin. All you need to do is place your faith and trust And receive him as Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I I have to believe and know that some of you needed to hear this. There are many...